Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Cavill. And we're in London. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so which, in the in the time-shifting world, so we've done three, no. We've only four recorded. We will have done three shows so far from London. Right. But this is only the second one we're recording. Second one we're recording. And it's on the second day. Yeah. Interesting day. Yeah, yesterday. first day was an interesting day. Should we should we tell the story? I guess. Okay, so we were done for the day. Mm-hmm. We were just sitting in here working. I think I was in the bathroom actually, and the fire alarm goes off. Right. There's a fire in the building. Please evacuate. Okay, but it's a very polite fire alarm. So like in the states, we are in England, right? In the states, it would have went. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, but it was like ding ding. Please evacuate the building. You know, it was very polite. So everybody goes out and we're just outside the building, you know, and, and the security people are saying, move back, move back, move back. So now we're thinking maybe there is a fire. Yeah. But well, also no fire trucks, no fire trucks, <laughs> but, but you know, move away, move away. Now everybody's pressed out onto the street and which the streets are cordoned off anyway, because, yeah. because we're right here. So it turns out that both Westminster Abbey and the Queen Elizabeth Center were evacuated because of uh, a bomb scare. A suspicious vehicle. Yes, a suspicious vehicle, which turned out we don't really know how, if it had a bomb I mean, how, in it or not. How suspicious are Mazdas really be? It's a Mazda. It's a black Mazda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mazda. Anyway, the, apparently a pe- two, according to the police report, was two controlled detonations, detonations. which means that they... Put some sort of big mat over they it and blew it up. Did something to dis- neutralize the threat. Right. <laughs> so we don't know what the threat is, but we did see a picture of, uh, the, of the vehicle being away. hauled off. Yeah. Yeah. But the long and short of it was we figured, okay, we're done for the day. Yeah. So we just walked back to the hotel and had a cocktail. But, um, uh, but apparently they reopened and they had the speaker party here. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, things went ahead. Well, yeah, we didn't we didn't get back, but I was not unhappy with the yeah, outcome. That was fine. There's very few things in this world that can't be solved by a couple of gin and tonics. Right? <laughs> anyway, that was our exciting day yesterday. Oh, we're we're back in the same space, and yeah. everything looks normal. Everything's fine. So uh, let's start off with better no a uh, framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? So this is a product called Tab9, and Tab9 is a competitor to Copilot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it uses the the GPT-2 uh, algorithm, which uses the transformer network yeah. architecture. Uh, it's been trained on all sorts of uh, data in GitHub. But also, interestingly enough, it will also learn from your code base. Okay. Which is what makes it a little bit different. So this and is a coding assistant. It's a coding assistant, right? It it completes your thoughts as you're as you're writing code. I mean, Visual Studio is also there, kind of right now, mm-hmm. without any of these things. But it's not as as intense as this. Like I know with Copilot, uh, you can like put a comment and say. Uh, you know, I want to iterate through these things. And if, uh, you know, if, if the number is a, uh, evenly divisible by seven, mm-hmm. I want to do something else. And you can just write comments and says, Oh, okay. And it writes your code for you. But, uh, this one apparently, uh, and it does include C sharp, even though the website says it's not in the list. You know, when you go look into it in the blog post and everything that I'm going to post. We will. Uh, you'll you'll see that C sharp is indeed um, uh, supported, and uh, it's in beta, and you can sign up for free. And uh, I'm going to post a link to the blog post that talks about it. Cool. All right. That's neat. So, who's talking to us, Richard? Grab a comment off of show 1625, which is March of 2019, where we talked to Victoria about building security into your app. And had a bunch of comments on that show, actually. Uh, this one, again, three years ago now. It's from Martin Runge, who says, with regard to the GDPR in the U.S., if you're lucky, you might end up with several, and he references some news articles from back in the time, and that apparently California is working on an implementation, which they have now done. It's three years later. So 
California uh, does have uh, its own uh, information security laws for the state of California. Hmm. The United States is a funny system where, you know, individual states can pass their own laws. Federal laws are separate. And, and yeah. It's funny. We say the same thing about Canada. Yeah, not so much. At my work in non-European offices, they watched us bemusedly when we implemented GDPR. And now the Brazil team wants to talk to us about we implemented GDPR because of Brazil's new privacy laws. So, like, GDPR is propagating again three years ago. And, uh, you know, we I had mentioned that I was worried about how much enforcement was going to happen in GDPR. We are seeing that these days. And Martin mentioned that, that France had levied a serious fine on Google. Although serious for anybody except Google, it was only 50 million euros. Uh, and so there's still prosecutors building cases, but I suspect there's going to be more cases coming down the line. Uh, what's interesting about the GDPR is it can be seen as a law balancing the reach of the U.S. anti-corruption law in Europe. He thinks it's politics all the way down. So you have you know, the U.S. exerting its uh, ability to say, hey, we're concerned about you, this European company doing business in the U.S. and we want to look at the books. Mm. And vice versa, the GDPR is saying, hey, if you're an American coming onto a European site, um, the GDPR still applies. So, yeah, great conversation, uh, interesting evolution of privacy. Uh, and thank you, Martin, for your comment. And you can contact me, and we will send you a copy of Music Code By. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code By, write a comment on the website, .net Rocks, or at uh, Facebook, because we publish every show there. And if, I, if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code By. Maybe not for long, though, because we did see something about Facebook podcasts going away well we never started we never actually published the podcast like yeah. facebook tried to build an engine for podcast publication yeah, yeah, yeah and it was really awesome except that nobody used it ah. and so including us yeah so, so the fact that they're now shutting it down it's like so we'll continue to do nothing but we do have a facebook page and we yes. really like it if you left us a comment yeah there. if you and i read all the comments there i often respond to them and uh yeah. and if i one works for the show i'll read it on the show yeah, and definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. You know, you can be really terse. The AI will fill in the rest. It's okay, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so let's introduce our guest for the second time or third time? Second, I think. Second time yeah. back on .NET Rocks. Uh, Victoria Almazova is a security girl, self-described, in Microsoft Norway with more than 13 years of experience in security. She spends all her time working closely with developers and architects to make security built in from design level. Gee, that's a great idea. Isn't mm -hmm. it? So good we did a show about it three years ago. Yeah. She's a big <laughs> supporter of making security as culture and shifting security to the left. Victoria believes that empowering developers and architects in security tasks by helping with education will increase security levels without increasing additional workload. During her free time, she deep dives into cloud security, development, identity, and access management. Welcome back, Victoria. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back, finally, physically. Yeah, we all are. Yeah. Oof. Indeed. And time flies, like three years, really? Three yeah. Years. Yeah. Because you were at the 2020 show, which was kind of the last big conference we did before everything shut down. I think so. Yeah. But we didn't, we didn't do an interview that, that time around. You know? That happened. It happens. It can, I can only get so many in. Well, we, I'm, I'm back. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> so. you're back. I, I, I saw your talk, or I didn't see your talk, but I read the abstract of your talk. And I just thought it was a continuation of our conversation. You talked about integrating security into, work, into our workflows. But now you're talking about measuring it. Exactly. Which, has, which I think is very cool because it is a demand by management. It's like, we're secure, right? Mm. And prove it. Yeah, yeah, but how, how can how can you say that you are secure if you you have nothing to prove, right? It's right. like by saying that you have a tools in the place mm. and you've done some education means nothing. Sure. And uh, honestly, uh, that talk is not only about the measurement. It's it's actually a bit back uh, to the main question: What is a DevSecOps for you? Because mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I I believe in today's world. People are overusing that. It, it's almost like a buzzword. Sure. Yeah. And uh, let like me a squirt bottle. Yeah. <laughs> let me challenge you. Let me challenge you back. What, uh, <laughs> what do you think when when you hear DevSecOps? Yeah. Well, what comes in mind? It's it's DevOps with security in the middle, isn't it? Is it like DevSecOps engineer? Yeah. That's that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, here's what I know. I know that most companies, if they do penetration testing. 
It's maybe once a year, maybe once every other year, if they even do it at all. So that, that currently to me is like the, the, the standard by which, you know, you, you're coming up here and saying, Oh, we, we can measure this. We can give you a score. You know, wow, really? Like, cause penetration testing is hard. Indeed. You know, and, and it doesn't work anymore very well in, like, you know, in the DevOps, uh, era. Like, uh, think about, uh, how often do you get the updates in your mobile phone? Yeah. Uh, for the old applications. And imagine if you would do all the time the pen tests before you go to the production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crippling. Uh, it it's, takes too long. Yeah. It takes, it, yeah. It I'm, I'm talking with customers here that are, that are pushing up production builds more than once a month. You know, it, it's got to be completely automated like everything else is in the pipeline. And I don't know how you would do that. Like, can you automate security validation? That's my goal. And that's a goal of DevSecOps. But to be fair, DevSecOps is not only about the automating and the putting the tools. That's another myth. Uh, what I'm trying uh, as well to reveal, like in, so when I'm uh, having the conversation with uh, with people co- who are interested in DevSecOps, that uh, if you, just because you have a security tool in the pipeline, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you do the full DevSecOps. Right. But at the same time, that's uh, that's a first thing. What uh, usually companies or like anyone who is interested in DevSecOps, they do. They start with the integration of uh, the security tools, like uh, mm. the code scanning uh, tools, and uh, trying to find and see what type of the vulnerabilities we do have while we're developing, sure, while, yeah. while we're committing the code. So yeah. it's, a, it's a good beginning for DevSecOps, I would say. Does AI play into it anywhere? Can you use uh, machine learning to say, oh, that code could allow nefarious connections? And uh, It depends. Yeah. There are some tools that start to utilize that, but uh, most of uh, today's uh, today's tools, what I see in the pipeline, they still are based on this pattern-based mm-hmm. uh, approach when we're just correlating uh, according to the latest CVE yeah. and, and as such. And, and of course, so like uh, the human-based databases. Uh, right. Like, uh, the classical example, uh, the same dependency uh, checker from the GitHub, right? Yeah. That's- yeah. So you're actually looking into a database of current CVEs and seeing if you know, we, if our code is exploitable. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and that could be easily done by versions of, you know, the versions but, of the software packages, right? Yeah, that's what uh, the most tools for the dependency scanning uh, do. Yeah. They are checking the versions and then we're just looking on the CVEs and say, like, hey, you know what? Uh, that version specifically has the issues. It's yeah. time to update. Them. Yeah. We got Dependabot on GitHub that's yeah, coming back to us after the fact and saying, hey, you should be updating these versions as well. Hmm. But uh, the log4j exploit from a few months ago really brought to light for me this software bill of materials mm-hmm. that in that pipeline has to be this list for non-devs, for the IT folk, for the security folk of here are all the libraries we're taking dependencies on. Because I think it's largely invisible to anybody who's not actually working in the code. Indeed, indeed. And uh, if you would ask uh, the developers how much time they do spend actually just to look on all of those dependencies right? inside what they mean. Yeah, you don't look at them. You looked at them when you just selected them. You didn't look at them again. And uh, then another point is, uh, do you do the life cycle for them? Or you just have added that once and then you, like, you know, okay, maybe I'm using that, maybe not, but it's still Mm -hmm. in the code. Yes. When do you rem- when do you decide you're no longer depending on something and actually get the dependency out? And I, I think the answer is never. Mm. Never. Once you've added something, you're afraid to remove it because you, you it's tough to figure out if it's actually got a dependency. Yeah. Yeah, you just follow the the principle like if it runs, don't break yeah, it, right? <laughs> it's not broken, even though it's increased the attack surface. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And now uh, it's it's a, just a small uh, side of uh, the same DevSecOps, right? Um, uh, okay, you're covering uh, the dependencies, you're trying to do the static code analysis, mm-hmm. but then the question is like, what happens next? It's not enough to say, yeah, we have implemented those tools, mm-hmm. but um, that's what I'm talking in my talk as well. Like, mm-hmm. how do you know that uh, they are efficient? And uh, that's not a proper measurement as well for the C-level people for the getting the money for the next ones, yeah. right? Well, the question they ask me is, are we secure? <laughs> <laughs> and they're, the answer they were expecting was yes. 
<laughs> can you can you say that? No, of course you can't. <laughs> but that's what they want, right? It, it's a, the question is, do you lie and say yes? Well, yeah. Who can we blame? Right. Who can we blame? We, exactly. But you also prove you wrong. You also can't say no. It's also not true. You have some security. You know, really, this comes down to what efforts have we made? Exactly. Right. And yeah. And how secure are we? You know, scale from one to ten or something. Right, so I like the idea of a grade. You know, right now we're at a C plus. So then the question is, how do you measure that? Yeah, yeah. Because oh. I kind of feel like you only find out after you're exploited you actually were an F. Mm. Right, <laughs> like it's one of those things where it's only F or C. There is no A. You know. And I think uh, it's quite hard to measure how secure you are. It's more like uh, how much effort you have done. How much done. effort you put out. Yeah. yeah. How, and uh, what is actually even not how much effort uh, you have done, but what, uh, um, what is an outcome, if I can say. Like, mm -hmm. Because it doesn't matter how, how many hours you spend no. on the security. At the end of the day, it matters more what is an outcome. Of those hours, you can like spend four hours uh, uh, for the education, and people can li leave the room and they remember nothing and right? do nothing. Yeah. Exactly, and then the outcome is zero. Well, and I also see that sort of cover your butt approach of I've spat out a bunch of paper related to security on this application. Here you go, I'm covered. Right? The I, I present an effort by a number of pages. Not not again. It's not the I don't know what the real thing is. Like we still haven't answered the question: How secure are we? Are we going to be able to resist an attack? And I, I'm not a big, uh, big supporter of the uh, the huge amount of pages. Uh, getting mm -hmm. back to the millennials, right? Or You're even never going to make it in the next century. You know, it's all about the paper. Uh, no, <laughs> in, to, in today's world, if you write something more than 140 words, yeah, you lost. They don't know. Yeah, yeah they're not going to read. They it. just don't read. Yeah, you so need you, to make. So I give you 10 pages of how secure we are with the TLDR that says yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Usually, when I'm getting asked, I, I always say, "Like as a lawyer, it depends." Yes, which is, I mean, all consultants too, right? Like, that's reality, right? You, I guess it, it is interesting to think in terms of the kinds of efforts we've made. Like, I appreciate that we can put in our CD, CI/CD pipeline mm -hmm. the validate some basic code validation, statics. Uh, we can. You know, check with Dependabot, make sure we're up to date on all our libraries. Like that to me seems like table stake efforts because you only have to get that done once for a given application in its pipeline and it will continue to work. It depends, I would say. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we are running into the another challenge. Like uh, one thing is just to integrate those tools. Mm -hmm. The second thing, what I have seen, uh, and that's the reason why I'm saying that DevSecOps is not about the tooling, but it, it is as well about the process and people. Right. The next step is like the developer comes back and says like, yeah, I have seen these huge reports. But what do I do next? Right. I mean, does it make sense or is it a false positive? And I have no idea what do you mean by like a cash poisoning and the security comes in and says, no, you must fix it. And yeah. it's, it's, it's more of this Mr. No approach. Like uh, we don't give you explanation of why it is important and what that actually means. Yeah. And uh, what so the prescriptive action is. Yeah, what, yeah. Is, what exactly what is a pres uh, but I find that the biggest challenge is even on the prescriptive action uh, what I'm battling right now uh, in one case but it's more there's no understanding behind of that the why it's so important mm. and that's uh, that's where the cultural transformation yeah, should be right. done as well and especially on the security side on the security folks side I mean it's always easier to sit in ivory tower and mm -hmm. write you must do this, this, this without just being on the field, working mm. alongside with the developers and saying like, hey, let me help you and explain. And, you know, even more, maybe I can bring some tools yeah. so you don't miss it next time again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot about the collaboration and explanation, I would say. And I could also think you can, this is about it, configuring those static test tools to validate that we're following the the security procedures that our organization prefers. Like, hey, we use Azure AD for val for validation. Can we check that you're using that? That you're, you know, following the procedures we want that we consider part of our security practice. That 
that would I would say it's uh, you you can follow there are obviously especially when it comes to the cloud solutions mm-hmm. and if you are speaking specifically about the Azure and Azure AD um there is a specifically Microsoft Defender for Cloud, right? right. That cloud, uh, cloud security posture management solution, which mm-hmm. actually gives you all these things like saying, this is wrong, this is what you need to fix, uh, this is how good you are if you want to see the secure score for your Azure environment. But what happens next? Even it provides you the uh, prescriptive actions, what you need to do. Uh, you see the two uh, issues. The one is whose responsibility it is to right. fix. Yeah. And the second is a lot about the commitment, the mm. time. Um, there could be the different messages coming from, like, you know, from the sea level and from the engineers when they say, we need more time. And someone on the top says, like, hey, but they, we gave you all the tools. Yeah. It should be easy. Why do you need more time? But we need to digest, to understand, to yeah. change routines, to fix the issues. And... That's that. That is there. I believe, like with the help of, you get a lot of the tools. Mm. So it's easy now. Yeah, let me reformulate. It became easier to do the security, right? Yeah. But uh, people tend to forget that it's still not one night change. Yeah, you need sure. to have a time. I mean, this it, is one of the reasons I liked doing getting pen testing done. Was not that it took a week to do it, but that we were also blocking out time afterwards to respond to it. As I never had a pen test that came back and said, you're good. <laughs> it was always a list of things that said, concern yourself with this. Take a look at this. This represents a significant risk. And then we would triage that list and, and build into a sprint. When are we going to f- repair these things? It's yeah, I can make f- progress on them. I can think off the top of my head of something that would take a longer than expected, you know, if it, if it was to do with the architecture of the code. Sure. Right. You, the developers have left a leaky abstraction or something like that that can be that can be uh, manipulated. And, and um, I just want uh, I don't want to put down the pen tests. I'm the huge fan of them as well. But mm-hmm. uh, the problem is that they are limited. The, yeah. the scope is limited, right? And they give you the understanding of the current state. Right. And if your developers are working in the DevOps style, like like you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, delivering once per month, and usually the pen test takes how, how much time? Two weeks. A couple weeks. A yeah. couple weeks, right? Uh, so think about you are in the half of sprint for the next features to mm-hmm. be delivered. Right. So it, the pen test in today's world is a good with the combination of uh, getting the security as early as possible, right. like uh, building uh, the architecture, people, mm-hmm. the threats in mind that, uh, hey, what if uh, we present this feature, how I can potentially abuse it? Like, what are the strategies where the bad guy would think about, like, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, and again, uh, it is always Depends what type of the pen test you take. Do you, do yeah. you take the black, uh, black box pen test, white box, gray box? And again, uh, but the biggest issue, what I see, it's, it's fixed in the time, in the one state point, which is not any more suitable with uh, this dynamic world of the development. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so it, it has to be backed up by routine stuff. Like it seems in to the- me. The, what I want from the pen tester is bring me your latest experience with, with, with vulnerabilities and let, and show me that my current security practice needs to be improved because of the new things that have discovered since the last time we did this. Uh, and, and you mentioned the important words like my current security practices. Yes. And this is how I see the pen, uh, the pen test. It's more like getting the professionals to, to give the fresh eye mm-hmm. view. If you are doing uh, good, because uh, this is what I'm I'm saying as well to my customer. It doesn't make sense to bring the Pentest team if you have nothing in the house. Right, you're just paying for the for the things. Uh, what you know, are checking the box that said I did a pen test. The fact that I, I failed it mightily, secondary <laughs> point. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh, what happens if you get uh, breached just after the pen test? Whom to blame? <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. Well, <laughs> then you argue. I would hope if it's right after, he's like, oh, we didn't have time to implement that. <laughs> the real thing for me is on the second pen test with the same team, and they came back and said, hey, you fixed all the things we brought up last right. time. Yeah. Like that's the report I want to show off that we responded to the results on that. But that takes even longer. It takes months that? because yeah. you don't, 
you get a huge long list from a pen tester, especially the first time around, they're going to yeah. kick your butt, right? Like it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. You can't, you don't do them all at once. You still got features you need to ship. Like you're now allocating 25% of resource to try and knock these few out. If you, if, if they really come up P1, like, listen, this will be breached at any moment. You really like, if you're not going to fix this today, you should turn the servers off. <laughs> uh, the, and those show up. Like I've seen that happen. Uh, I would take, I, I would take it almost the year. If we're going to 10 test once a year and I, and especially when that list is long, Slipping all, getting those major fixes in, it's going to take months and months. We'd be lucky if we, if all of the tests they did the first time, the next time that we've stopped them all. And then they have, but they do have a new generation, right? They've learned more. Indeed. And then it's, I would say the having uh, the pen test is like, is almost like having postmortem. Yes. Uh, because uh, you, you get that uh, already when you have spend a huge amount of the money investing into the development, yeah. correct? It's really bug correction is what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, you have been running around, you deployed a vulnerability and you've been running around with it until we were able to do the testing to tell you you've been running around with a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and as well, what what happens next? Like uh, when you get that huge report and the uh, developers are saying, oh, it's going to take another month and the business is like, but you know we are dependent on yeah. these new you functionality, these yeah. and mm-hmm. but no. it's not secure, and uh, that's that's a problem because at the end of the day, uh, security is not the main goal. Security is supportive for the business. Sure, so it doesn't make sense to have completely secure but non-usable product. Right. Well, and I'm, and I don't mean to be that guy, but it's like I have done my diligence as the head of this dev team to push to management. We have security vulnerabilities that are going to consume resources to repair. I'm leaving it to the business owner to decide what's your priority. Because if we're going to have a highly secure system that's bankrupt, that's not valuable either, right? But they at least are able to make decisions with knowledge that they know there are vulnerabilities we need to repair. Some assembly, some triage has to Yeah, and and now they're going to help me with the triage. But they are speaking about the two ways, either mm-hmm. my way, like let's make and fix all the findings, either just accept risk. Maybe mm-hmm. there is a third way, which is called like uh, minimal secure, uh, minimal value, yeah. value secure products where mm-hmm. they can say like, yeah, we do see top, like, you know, we see hundreds of the vulnerabilities, but uh, we can fix like 40 of them yeah. in the next two sprints. Yes. And uh, the uh, others we can monitor while we are in the production and Keep going and fixing that. Well, I think you bring up a great point, which is that many of those vulnerabilities are something we can put into IT monitoring to see if they are being pushed on. Like for me, when we were triaging this stuff, it's like, which of these represent a script kitty attack? Mm-hmm. And which of these represent a state actor going at us? Because I'll, I want to knock out the script kitty attack first. A, they're probably easier to fix. And B, they're far more likely to happen, right? Depending on your company. Like I have definitely been involved with companies where it's like, oh no, we are routinely targeted by hostile countries. So, you know, mm-hmm. we take that stuff seriously. But your average, you know, business just making so- doing their thing, they should be worried about the script kitty. That they, the drive bys will happen. Knock out the drive bys. And the the script kitties come on the heels of major uh, vulnerability attacks, right? Like Log4j is currently in the realm of script kitties, isn't it? Right now, it is. because everybody yeah. else is patched, you know, and now they're finding. The, vul- the vulnerable systems that they can just oh let's run this script and, and then it's it's one of the the things what I'm I'm trying to challenge on the stage and as well in daily life like uh, at the first place why you do a reactive approach why you take like you know the pen test which you, if you look on the numbers it, it's going to cost you more comparing for uh, getting the security like routines. Already, when you are planning your product, mm. when like just do the threat modeling, uh, yeah, I right. know it's going it to spend some. Yeah, uh, it's going to take some time. E- uh, integrate the the same security tools in the pipeline. Mm. Yes, of course. In the first month, you will be overwhelmed with yeah. the reports, and it's going to be like up and then down. If you will do the commitment mm-hmm. and do the education say that um, <clears throat> of course you should be careful by saying that the security is everyone's responsibility because then it comes with uh, no uh, like you know everyone's responsibility no one's responsibility mm-hmm. thing but at the same time if you do just uh, the financial calculations it turns out that uh, 
putting these things as further to the left as possible is cheaper than sure. like you know fixing the things in the production when mm-hmm. you already can experience the downtime and i i have had the reason one of my previous roles like i can talk about it was like 10 years ago when i was trying like to push these type of the things it used to be called secure development life cycle mm-hmm. but of course the change takes time and meanwhile, we got into the newspapers because uh, apparently in our system there was authentication issue. And uh, we got that, uh, like, you know, the disaster plan, so to say. So we needed to put them down to prioritize, fix it immediately. And uh, it caused... It caused some business interruption, right? Sure. And you, mm-hmm. If you sit down and you start to calculate, yeah, reputation risk, reputation loss... Then uh, plus uh, additional hours of uh, additional developers, downtime, and, and so on. And it, it turns out it's cheaper just uh, to to work consistently with the developers from the beginning. Sure. And uh, guys, I'd like to ask you to hold on for one second for this very important message. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know, Raygun is sponsoring this portion of .NET Rocks, and who better to talk about Raygun than Raygun, J.D. Trask? Welcome for a few seconds. Awesome. Hi. Howdy, guys. Hey. JD, I've read your stuff, and you talk a lot about that sort of customer-centric mindset, that you can use logging to really understand that your customers are happy or not happy, whether they tell you directly or not. Uh, Talk more about that, because I think being really customer-centric today is super important. Yeah, it's absolutely critical in, in today's business. And, you know, a lot of there's a lot been written about this with, say, for example, what Amazon's done trying to be the most customer centric business. You know, people are putting the customer first. And that applies as much in software. Even at the mm-hmm. end of the day, when we're talking about things like IoT and, and whatnot, ultimately, why do we build software? We build it for human beings, right? Mm-hmm. If we don't think about the user, the person who's on the receiving end of our software, uh, we are missing the primary stakeholder. In it, you know, yeah. it's not actually our employer. It's not really even us as a coder. It's the customer, and so making sure that they are the center of how you think about these things is really important. So I'll give you one small concrete example. We do obviously track errors with one of our products, and we will also track how many unique users have been impacted by that error. Now that's not identifying wow. data; it's just a GUID that we do a distinct count on. But that way, you could say, if I had ten thousand errors that affected ten thousand customers, or I had ten thousand errors that was one customer stuck in a loop, right? Helping mm. you prioritize and sort and manage that for maximum customer impact is something that I think is missing from a lot of these sort of ops tools and whatnot, where you're just keeping an eye on stuff, and you might be fixing something just because the graph is wrong, not because. A customer was having a bad experience. I think that's something that we need to continue to evolve and push on as as a as an industry. Boy, you got that right, man. It's like a bunch of chefs sitting around a pot of soup and not being able to taste it and saying, "I think it needs more of this." No, no, it <laughs> needs more of that. Right? That, that is an awesome analogy. I'm going to steal, Carl. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, anything to do with food, that's right up my alley. <laughs> that's where you go. And if you want to know more about Raygun, go to raygun.com and click on. Start your free trial. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. That's my friend Richard Campbell. Hey. And Victoria uh, Almazova is here. We're talking about DevSecOps. And uh, I, 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 I thought of a scenario that, that could be a potential nightmare. And maybe you've seen this. Uh, I have. Which is your, your team decides we're going to upgrade one of our dependencies to a current version, which is, you know, the best in the this, but it's going to require a lot of refactoring. But we decide, yes, we're going to go ahead. We think it's worth it. And it's going to take two months to, to do this refactoring. So we do it and everything gets out there. And then, you know, a, a test shows that, oh, a vulnerability exists in this new version. So now we have to roll back to the previous version. Or do we, you know, put pressure on the, the developer and say, hey, patch this come out with the next version so we can keep our, like now you're in this sort of limbo where, you know, the developer of this tool that you've taken a dependency on can't make this patch for another month or week or whatever. We can't wait with this vulnerability. So we decide to roll it back and that affects the the current development that's going on. I mean, that's kind of a nightmare scenario, isn't it? 
It is, and uh, honestly, I would say the security is always the cat and mouse game. You will not have this end state of, uh, yeah, we have developed and now it's fully secure. So I think uh, the best thing what you can do is uh, just to to be prepared for that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Try uh, to prevent it in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And plus uh, the heavy monitoring and as well the additional security controls what you can have like uh, on, on your production. Mm. There is a reason why we do have the web application firewalls in the first place, right? Yeah. It's just... And uh, this is what we have seen as well if we go back to the with the log4GS uh, vulnerability. Um, the... The web application firewalls, they got the rules which are detecting specifically if someone is trying, like, you know, um, to, to use, uh, those type of, like, uh, attack vectors. Mm-hmm. And the web application firewall gives you a time. So it's important to understand that WAF is not about the protection. It's about giving you the time to fix the problems what you have behind. Yeah. So, um, to going back to that nightmare scenario, um, what you can do in the first place, it's important, like, uh, be more proactive in the security. The second thing is build a plan. What if I'm not able to fix that right. in the first right. uh, month? Uh, can I get some uh, uh, complementary uh, solutions which will be able to help me to see if someone is actually trying to exploit it? And then um, uh, measure um, from the business side, like, uh, is that functionality worth comparing with the previous one? So, right. yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, you said pushing left a couple of times, the idea of incorporating security in the practice in the first place. And I could easily see a manager coming at you going, well, why did you create these vulnerabilities in the first place? You know, that now that you have to fix them, like, don't introduce them uh, uh, up front. I mean, given the greenfield dream, and it's usually a dream, you actually put some of this DevSecOps in practice. Because let's face it, before the app's built, there's not a lot of vulnerability there. Hmm. But to be able to to see what vulnerabilities you have as you're writing code with, I guess, you know, it's just the static and dynamic testing tools, right? There's only so many tools that are going to help you. It's not only about the tools. I think the oh, there are two other reasons. Mm-hmm. Lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, the time commitment. Right. Because, uh, you know, that famous thing like when business asks you for the new functionality and you ask for the timeline, they yeah. say yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so, and you don't, uh, another thing is like that you don't have a good plan for the security because you still treat security as a some, some separate unicorn. Yes. It's, but in a matter of fact, of fact it's all about, uh, I know I will get uh, a lot of tomatoes in my face right now by saying that, but uh, the security is just another type of the bug. Mm-hmm. It's like, and we no, we hinted at that already. Exactly, yeah, I mean, kind of bug. it's it's kind of eighty percent of truth. Yeah. We will not go into that direction because, <laughs> like I said, it's it's a it's a kind of the holy war in the security sure. field. But uh, when I'm saying this, what I'm trying is to motivate you to look. How do we do the quality tests? Right. How do we approach other functionality bugs? Uh, and this is where we have many years of the experience. Yeah. Not right? validating inputs that'll be stuffed to a database. That's a bug. And still the OWASP number one. Indeed. You know? So it, something wrong is happening. Yeah. Like, with, without a doubt. And so it certainly can be addressed that way. And if you're in cor- if you've got that knowledge and it's in your practices that you're sanitizing all your inputs, there's a whole class of vulnerability that's being dealt with as you write your code. I just know that we can measure that well. Like that, I I, I think I would want to be able to see how many how many times have we done the right thing in code related to security. Exactly, and uh, that's a that's a reason why I, uh, I was uh, going deep dive into that measuring mm-hmm. because. Um, like we discussed, there are plenty of the tools, but we run every time into the same issues. 
uh, sometimes they get noticed, sometimes not. And that's the reason why you need actually to collect uh, from those tools. You need to collect the statistics like you do with, uh, in the classical DevOps. You do like, you know, the mm. velocity, agility. You collect sure. uh, all the reports to see how fast uh, the the feature uh, was committed like and went to the production, right? You right. collect those numbers. Yeah. In the same time, uh, time you can do as well uh, the collection of those KPIs for the security, like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, uh, how many the vulnerabilities have been detected in this current, um, like, you know, the sprint? Mm. Uh, how many of them are re- reoccurring bugs? Right. Because this is what can give uh, the red flag to the security that team is repeatedly doing the same Still mistake. So failing to sanitize inputs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this so, is something that's super static and testable, right? Like, yep. I should be able to build into my pipeline a test for any time we're interacting with data and say, do we have sanitation here? Mm-hmm. Right? And and so, like, the same way you build up a set of tests in any piece of software where you find a bug, you write the test that validates the bug, then you correct it, now it passes the test. So the next time that bug shows up, the test fails again. I think you'd want exactly the same thing around uh, some kind of security practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, my concern with this whole thing, Victoria, is that when security is done really well, it's invisible. Like it just doesn't, nothing happens. And so when it's done poorly, but nobody attacked you, looks the same. <laughs> Innate. And uh, I think uh, that would be the the perfect, like, you know, vision when you don't hear anything about the security yeah. because it's like, it's so deep in DNA and everything goes like, uh, as a flow, mm-hmm. um, so you're yeah, rarely getting like, an instrument to say there. While it was part of the flow, there was time spent on on security related practice. Like there's no reason to sanitize input if nobody's going to exploit them. But you are going to spend some time doing that. Less time than if you have to do it post facto as a, a as a correction in a later sprint, but still some time. So I I really want that measurement to show that my team is routinely exercising practices that that make the system more secure indeed and that's uh, that's one of the that uh, kpi what you can measure and because uh boost tools they give you the logs right mm-hmm. uh, um in the pipeline you can see uh uh the bugs the reports and then you can as well once you have uh, that bug identified and it came into your backlog you can track how fast it was fixed right uh, again so you can see as well at the same time you can see the maturity of the team because uh, um, at the beginning it takes more time to fix the bugs right once right. the team becomes more uh, mature in the security they're they spend... to make the bugs in the first place yeah but gonna... if i if i do we spend less time on fixing them sure as well absolutely what about automating vulnerability testing just as a metric? Like I'm now trying to do security practices that w- while not only helping security will also give me numbers that can make people happy. Yeah, that's that's another thing what I'm talking as, uh, as well when I'm talking about uh, the KPIs mm-hmm. is as well, uh, you don't need to focus a lot on the negative numbers, on negative KPIs right. because it's going to put down developers, right? Sure. If you would uh, put like, hey, this is the number of the failed security tests, this is like the number of security findings, top vulnerability, top uh, types, like, you know, all of that. But as well, what you can do, you can measure the positive ones, sure. like uh, a successful security audit rate slash percentage. Right. Well, and it's gonna always going to work in your favor once you get down that path because you're going to keep adding validations of blocking vulnerabilities and that number will only get bigger because you'll never take old ones out Mm. but you can correlate this with uh, another kpi which is like the percentage of the code coverage from the security testing perspective and if you say if you see that uh, the first one goes up but uh, the second one the positive like the successful rate goes down it's like yeah okay it's expected behavior because we have introduced more uh, potential exposure right and so we mean potentially write more tests and we're going to have more vulnerabilities. But again, it's like, I'm trying to answer the boss's question, are we safe? It's like, well, here's our current vulnerability tests. And yeah, are the top 10 most common vulnerabilities, we're good on all of them. And we've got 1,500 others that have been have happened in the past that we now know we're pretty resistant to. But there's still, a, there's still the unknowns, but at least you've got rid of the obvious ones. Like to me, that means you've protected yourself pretty well from the script kitties, the known vulnerabilities. If the big guns are going to come from you, you always have a problem. Exactly. And uh, uh, this is the reason why you need to have those numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest issue what I see currently that uh, 
when I say the words KPI, developers get bored, right? Yeah. Because it's like business cares about the KPIs, but yes. actually it gives you that visibility yeah. and that one of uh, the things what DevOps as well teaches us when it comes to the quality, but you need to see as well, uh, you need to get these numbers. And the challenge here is uh, how do you get those numbers in the first place? Yeah. Now, um, there's no point in adding SEC to the DevSoft if you're not going to instrument it. Like no. arguably instrument it first. Show that we have a we have a number we can improve on and then start working on improving the number. Yeah, and it's going to require some time uh because uh I I don't feel that um, again, maybe I'm too opini- opinionated, but the market is not yet there. Yeah. Because uh okay, you bought my idea of the measuring, right? Sure. And the next question is like Okay, uh, here's the money. Where can I get that to? Yes. Where's the big red button that makes the vulnerability number go down? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in this case, it's more like, you know, where's that uh, button which, like, when I press and I get all those numbers collected from uh, all my pipelines. Mm. Yeah. But now I feel like I could have a guy on the QA team who's watching the NIST reports and seeing new vulnerabilities coming down and starts to add to the vulnerability tester ways to validate the latest exploits that they're seeing out there that then pop up in the routine CICD build and so get flowed into my regular build, my regular sprint cycle as things to correct without it, without the drama of the big pen test, which I still feel like I want to do. But ideally for me, the next time that big pen test comes around, Half of the new vulnerabilities they brought to the table, we've already addressed. And and you want to get the surprise from the Pentas team as well, right? Yeah, you want to blow them away. I not only knocked out all the stuff you told us last time, but I got half the list you're bringing this time. Yeah, and uh, like a, like a, uh, I like to say, like just make uh, the life more complicated for the Pentas team as well. Sure. It's like they don't want to come back with a "you're good" either. Then he's like, "Why do I pay you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And. Uh, that's that's the reason why you need to have as well like uh, all of those security tools and work on these. Start work with at least with the OSP top ten. Sure. And uh, then, I, honest to goodness, if you really just got serious about sanitizing inputs and not being subject to injection, you've beaten a lot of apps out there. Like I don't know when that finally goes down from number one. Like it's been there for so long. It's almost a joke. Indeed. And uh, another thing, but uh, I noticed as well recently, especially if you look on uh, discovered uh, vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not about uh, the one vulnerability. Sometimes it's a set of the vulnerabilities which makes that exploit uh, possible. Right. And that comes from uh, as well from the thinking like, oh, but these two or three vulnerabilities separately, they are minor mm-hmm. or yeah. like rated think- as low. But mm. in the combination, they mm. give you the <laughs> doors open. So it is, it is another huge topic, like how far we need to go when we fix uh, the issues. Yeah. It's a lot of different pieces here. Does m- building apps in the cloud make them more secure or less secure? It depends. Nice. Right? <laughs> it gives you more space to focus on application itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's a huge benefit of the cloud. There are the few actually benefits. The one is uh, it's a shared responsibility with the cloud provider. Yes. So the infrastructure uh, is, uh, especially if you work with the PaaS services, mm-hmm. uh, the infrastructure part is taken care of by the cloud provider who mm-hmm. obviously has a bigger, slightly bigger experience. Right. And also has a larger view of the attack landscape. So sure. you get that yeah, benefit. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, as well the second point that, uh, where... In the cloud, comparing with uh, the on-premise or like the classical data centers, you get uh, the more compute power, the the nicer and more modern technologies. Mm -hmm. And that's why you get the the same cloud security posture management. You get a bit more of the EI Mm -hmm. uh, stuff uh, inside of the security tools Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that allows you to focus on your application itself. Right. And it comes with, um, it comes with the price and comes with the price to the security folks who used to focus a lot on the end user security and the info security, but mm-hmm. they never worked closely with the developers. Right. And suddenly yeah, they're like, Oh, in the cloud. Okay. The firewall is there. Oh, infrastructure is there. Now we need to focus on the application. Right. Heck, how should we do that? Yeah. Different so, conversation, but not a bad one. Now they have cycles one. for it. 
Yeah, not the right. bad one. But I'm also thinking that that most cloud providers have, you know, you've if you're living in AWS, then you're probably using Cloudflare, and that's a bunch of detecting abilities and, and monitoring and so forth. If you're using Azure, you've got App Defender. So I mean, again, you've got some tools there to help you and Sentinel, and you know, there's ways to give you a better view uh, and a consistent view over security contact. And this is one of the things that uh, people should un- understand that uh, going to the cloud doesn't make you secure by default. No, it gives you the better security state, but we would ask, focus, uh, spend that time what you got now on the application security yeah. because there's always a there's always a widget somewhere on the portal asking you to do some more security work you've just been ignoring it <laughs> that's <laughs> and true if, and if you take some time and not ignore it uh it'll it'll lead you down a path you're also going to spend more money they're often asking you to turn on things that aren't free but do provide some security benefit mm-hmm. and is it more expensive i doubt because i doubt it uh, you used to do that manually, right? Yeah. On, on the premises, you had uh, plenty of folks, yeah. which are automated at least on the infrastructure security right mm. now. Uh, but inside of that, just like I said, spend more time on uh, on application security. Mm-hmm. Reshape your mindset in that sense. Yeah. Mm. Focus on those things. Yeah. Well, Victoria, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Still DevSecOps, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. More of the <laughs> same. Yeah, it's a never-ending story. Yeah, uh, I bet. Well, thanks for being with us for this hour, and uh, we'll see you next time, I hope. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, and we'll see you next time we do .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-